there is coming a day when no heartache shall come no more clouds in the sky no more tears to dim the eye all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore what a day glorious day that will be the day that will be when my jesus i shall see and i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be there'll be no sorrow there no more burdens to bear no more sickness no pain no more parting over there and forever i will be with the one who died for me what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my jesus i shall see and i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my jesus i shall see and i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be what a day glorious day that will be Man, appreciate that, guys. Appreciate all you men and women that stood up here just a moment ago. And I couldn't help, as I was sitting there watching that video, just to welp with a little bit of pride and uh, to see what God uh, has done in preserving the freedoms of this country and how he's used all you folks uh, that have served. I often told my wife, if I wasn't in the ministry, that would have, I would have gone. I would have done that. And I would have joined the military more than likely. The Marines is what I wanted to do. And um, But the Lord just changes things. And uh, and I'm thankful for those of you that have served and fought and defended our freedoms. We have so much to be thankful for at your expense. And uh, we truly are grateful this morning. As I was thinking about uh, what to preach, you know, when I first learned I'd be preaching, pastor be out of town, I didn't realize at first that it was going to be on this Veterans Day as we honored our soldiers. And, um, and then as that thought uh, came to mind, um, you know, I, I instinctively just began to think, well, Lord, what would you have me? I had an idea already, uh, something I had kind of, uh, in the wings there, if you will, and uh, but then it, the Lord just impressed, well, maybe there's something different, and began to think about what would he have me to preach this morning, and it, instantly, right away, my mind runs to the story of David and Goliath, and I'm thinking to myself, that's just so elementary, David and Goliath, isn't it, isn't it just that story that everyone learns as a child, and, and uh, it kind of really is, uh, you know, referenced in some cases, but not often highlighted. Uh, outside of Sunday schools, but it really is an awesome story. And, and I jumped uh, up to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'd ask you to turn there if you would with me this morning, and, uh, and began, to, began to read through the story, a story that is incredibly familiar to us. We are well aware of what took place between David, uh, the, this small young lad, and, uh, and Goliath. Um, let me see. Cody, would you run back right on the edge of that sound booth wall is a small black bag. And if you would grab that for me and bring it up here. I began to read through this story, and, you know, it was the story that I knew. The story of how 
uh, the Israelites are in war uh, against uh, or with the, Phil- the Philistines. Uh, you know, and I, and I recounted the story kind of in my mind before I even read it on the page. The story of how uh, David would come and, and confront his brothers in that famous line, Is there not a cause? And he would stand up and fight uh, for, for Christ, ultimately. He fought to defend the honor of Christ, Jesus' name, God's name. And, uh, and he said, we're not going to let this uh, Philistine defy God. And, uh, and so David stands up and he fights and ultimately wins the victory. We've all pictured uh, in our minds that battle that took place as David took five smooth stones from that brook, put them in his satchel, placed them in a sling as he charged towards Goliath and threw that, that stone through the air. In this little satchel I have this morning are five smooth stones. And, believe it or not, they are from the brook of Elah. And that is the valley in Israel where David fought Goliath. And I've had the opportunity to go to Israel a couple times. And one of those times I was able to go to the valley of Elah. And these are stones from what is now a dried up riverbed. And uh, they're completely, um, it's completely dried up, but it's very obvious where it is. Uh, during the rainy seasons, it still does come to life. And uh, the water flows through that river. That, it's more or less a, what I would call a creek. And, uh, and it runs through, the, there, there's some culverts there. And uh, I was able to crawl down in that, in that valley and uh, pick these five smooth stones out of that creek. And I can picture David that day as he gathered those five smooth stones out of that brook, not sure how this was all going to take place, but knowing that God was going to give him the victory. And he took those five smooth stones and placed them in, runs, he charges, he kills Goliath. We know that he chops off his head and uh, takes it back and shows the people. And there's a great victory that day. Arguably, one of the greatest military victories in the Bible, as far as I'm concerned. But as I was reading the story of David and Goliath, I came to a verse that really seemed out of place to me that I'd never noticed before. In chapter 17, verse number 15, it says, But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Let me give you the preface here. Uh, David... Uh, the, the children of Israel are going to war. David's older brothers have already been introduced, and they are now with Saul getting ready to go to battle. And so all of the army is moving out to go to war uh, to the Valley of Elah, but the Bible steps up here and says, but David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep. It had never occurred to me that David was already with Saul when the battle started. I don't know how I missed it, David was already with the Israelites when this battle started. He left Israel to go back to Bethlehem to take care of his sheep. So because I'd never noticed it, I had to go back and figure out what he was doing there. Well, it makes sense once you kind of draw the picture together. We know that Saul is afflicted with these moods of depression. And he had called for a young boy to come play the harp for him and uh, to somebody to help him with uh, his depressive moods that he had. And so if you jump back to chapter 16 with me, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 19, you'll see it says, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel, uh, I'm sorry, I'm in 17, 16, verse 19, chapter 16, verse 19, it says, Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the the sheep. And Jesse took uh, an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul. Now remember, this is all before this battle takes place. David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the evil spirit departed from him. Before this battle takes place, David is already with Saul. Okay, so that starts to make sense a little bit further. So I jump back in. I'm just taking you through the little path that I took here. I jump back over to chapter 17, and I continue reading the story. Then I come to the end of the story, and look at chapter 17 again, if you would, with me, and verse number 55. The battle's over. All of the army of Israel is fighting. They chase over the Philistines. We know that they, they slaughter the Philistines, the Bible says. But then look in 55. It says, And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistines, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. 
And the king said, Inquire thou whose son this stripling is. And I'm all confused again. Saul's already been, or David's already been in Saul's court. He's already been to the point where Saul said, the Bible says that Saul loved him and made him his armor bearer. He's been using the harp to, to refresh Saul's spirit when the Lord was depressing him because he was departing from God. Then David goes home. He goes home to take care of his sheep and Saul goes to war. Then David comes back. And we know at least 40 days passed, but uh, from what I can learn in history, it could have been more like three or four months that, took, uh, that passed by. Then David comes back to visit his brothers. Do you recall the story? His father sends him with the, the refreshments and says, go visit your brothers. They've been at war for a while. Take them this refreshment. So David goes back. That's when David stands up and takes the fight against uh, uh, Goliath and, and ultimately conquers Goliath. But then after all of that, in a matter of months, Saul doesn't recognize David. The one who stood in his court and played the harp for him. The one whom he had made his armor bearer. And you may go different directions with this. But as far as I can tell, something happened in David's life over that summer, over those months, that completely changed him. Something took place in his life and and, and there could have been an, a number of things. He was a young lad. Things obviously changed quickly. But in that summertime, something, or in that time where David went back to the wilderness to take care of his sheep, to do his mundane daily duty of guarding the flock, something changed so drastically that later on Saul wouldn't recognize him. And you even kind of get, at least I do, the hint that, that Abner's kind of like, I just can't place this guy. I, I can't tell you who he is, King. I just don't know. It's like he's, I can picture him, but I just don't recognize him. And here we are. What took place in David's life over that time in the wilderness? I can't tell you exactly for sure, but I can tell you what transpires between the point of David soothing Saul with the harp and David conquering Goliath. And so today... I want to, to, to uh, expose from the Word of God or teach this morning lessons learned in the wilderness. Lessons learned in the wilderness. Father, Lord, we do pray that you'd be with this message this morning. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, as we look at this great victory you gave, I ask, Lord, that you would uh, teach us the truth that you'd have for us today. Not a truth that would be learned and forgotten, not a novelty uh, that would just come and go, but, Lord, a truth that will stick with us, that will help us to walk our Christian lives on a daily basis as we go throughout this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 20, we see where David is sent back from his father and he's sent to his brothers. And in verse number 20, it says, And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him and came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. If you skip down the next two verses to verse number 22, the Bible says, says, And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran to the army and came and saluted his brethren. If you skip down to the next verse in 23, you'll see a dialogue between David and some men. And David's saying, Hey, is there not a reason to fight here? Is not the Philistines, aren't they, aren't they setting themselves against us? And aren't they sending this giant Goliath out to defy God? Isn't there something here worth fighting for? Why are you all hiding in the mountains? Why aren't you getting out in the trenches and, and fighting this, this giant? Sure, it may cost you your life, but we can't just sit back here and let him defy God. The people kind of uh, mock him a little bit because of his stand. And then his brothers step up and said, You foolish boy, what are you doing here? I know your spirit, that you're just full of pride. You're just trying to draw attention to yourself. And he says, No, what, what have I done? I, I just can't sit by and let people defy God's name. I'm sorry, I'm not going to take it. And it says that he went from the strangers that were close by to him. Then he went to his family and said, I'm not going to take it. Then he went to somebody else and said, Hey, guys, what's going on here? And if you read through those verses, he went to three different groups of people. And in every situation, the people turned him down, didn't want to hear anything that he had to say, except that his words were repeated before the king. The first lesson I believe that David learned was he learned to be consistent. I think something happened as he went through those months and more than likely his whole life, but specifically the time that changed. I believe he learned to be consistent. You see, you see during this time, his brothers are at war. 
The whole nation's at war. But here's David just sitting at home. I have no doubt as any ambitious young boy would uh, have, and you see even looking back to the Civil War where our young men who really were men from the age of, of being a teenagers wanted to go and fight, lying about their age and sacrificing their, 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 their youth for the, the freedoms that they would try to, uh, to win through those, those battles, those victories. I have no doubt that David was the same kind of person. He wanted to win the battle. He wanted to go out in the fight, but he just stayed by the stuff. He stayed by uh, his sheep and took care of his flocks. He, he learned to be consistent. And then uh, as he comes, he comes and he, and he, and he, comes and he uh, leaves his sheep with a keeper, the Bible says. He just did what he was supposed to do. He came with his cart and he left it with the keeper because he did what he was supposed to do. And when he got to the men that were there in the battle, he said, we got to do something, we got to do something, we got to do something. And David's consistency eventually pays off when he stands before the king and the king says, go ahead in the battle. Consistency. Hey, consistency is one of those things this morning. It's one of those things that we think of as just doing the same thing all the time. But that is not what consistency is, folks. Consistency is a fixed position. Being fixed in a union, as in the parts of a body. The state of a body in which its component uh, parts remained fixed. We need consistency in our lives today. We need to stay attached. We need to stay fixed. We need to stay settled. And whereas we live in a culture today that is constantly changing and constantly uh, redefining itself and everything that we hold as biblical truth and uh, even the, 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 uh, the, the marriage, something we hold so pure, being redefined, we need consistency in our lives. The moral guidelines that had been established in our country based upon the Word of God that once ruled the decisions and way we made decisions in this country are no longer in place. Those guidelines that are based on the Word of God, they went out the window, and uh, you can point fingers all over the place. You can point them back to generations of groups of people and say they let this happen and we let that happen. But ultimately, what's happened today is that God is not at all in our country. He is not at all in our government. He's not a part of the, the establishment of our government today. You can look back through history and you can see where God was removed. You can point to times in, you know, in, the, in the 50s, the 60s, where God was removed from the schools. You can look at times where uh, the feminists really pushed and, and as a result today destroyed the element of the home as we see it really destroyed what uniquely made men and women different by equality. When there are two different, very different people, wonderfully different, each with a purpose and a, and a role to play, we see consistency has just completely gone out the window. Because God's been removed from our country and because the, the role of the home has been destroyed, we see that our children just don't have any consistency. You look around today at our youth, the youth of America. The most lackadaisical bunch of young people you can... I'm, I know there's exceptions to the rule, and most of those exceptions are sitting in churches like this on a day, on, on a Sunday. Thank God it's the, 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 the involvement of parents that are teaching their children the ways of God. But you look out in the world, and man, my heart is burdened for the youth that are just going their own direction, doing their own thing. Children today are more influenced by their teachers at school and friends around the corner than they are by their parents because mom and dad are out doing their thing. And, and it's just a shame how our culture is raising the children. Society is raising the children. The days are gone where the family will sit down for devotions, not just in the world, in many Christian homes. There's no consistency. In many Christian homes, the time to sit down at dinner where Joey and Susie talk about all of the problems they had that day and dad would give wise counsel and mom would encourage them to do right are gone. It's replaced by a TV tray and the latest episode of Modern Family. Where the marriage has been redefined and relationships are corrupted. And we wonder what is wrong. The truth is 
that there is no consistency in our lives as Christians for the most part. We're up, we're down, we're all around, but never fixed on what is right. Fixed on the, on the path that we should be on. Things really aren't debatable in the Word of God. And I don't care uh, how many ways you interpret it. I don't care if you read the ESV or the NIV or the NKJV or whatever Bible you have. There is no multiple interpretations for the Word of God. Things are fixed. And what he said has been right all this time is still right today. And what has been wrong all this time is still wrong today. We need a generation. We need men and women today that are going to be fixed the way that David was fixed on what was right, consistently doing, leaving his sheep with the keeper, leaving his carriage with the keeper, uh, going to his brothers and saying, we have got to stand, we have got to fight. We need to have that same fortitude today. We see it looking back to the great generation the greatest generation, you see, you see some consistency. You look back 60, 60, 70 years, 80 years, you look back to World War I and World War II and the men that fought in those world wars, the strength with which they carried out their missions, they were fixed. There was no wavering. There, was no, there wasn't retreat. It was move forward, move forward, move forward. And with that, that fixed attitude and fixed heart, they won victories. I believe David comes back to this point here where he is standing before a battle. And I believe all the lessons he's learned on consistency are about to pay off. Guys, we've got to get in the fight. We've got to get in the fight. We've got to get in the fight. I'm fixed on it. I'm not going to back off. I'm not going to retreat. I don't know why you are, but we're moving forward and we're going to see a victory here. We need some of that in Christianity today. We need it in our personal lives. You face the discouragement. Consistency will pull you through. Amen. Face the depression. I understand there's cases where medication's requirement, but for the most part, in a lot of cases... Being fixed on something would help pull you through it. Not just anything, being fixed on God. We don't even have consistency in the most part in attending church. I, sure, we're here. I understand that. But church is one of those places that we go that we're content to go to and receive nothing in return. In a lot of cases. We go to the grocery store. How would you feel going to the grocery store, expecting to get groceries, and not walk out with any groceries? I hate that. I hate going shopping and not getting anything. It just it drives me nuts. I go shopping with my wife. She just wants to look at stuff. Just buy it. Let's be done and go home. All right? Let's get this over. All right? Pull the Band-Aid off at once. I don't want, you know, just a slow rip. Okay? And But... Church, we go to the grocery store, we expect to get groceries. We go to the barber shop, we expect to get our hair cut. Or we go to a sports stadium, we expect to see a game. And when we leave, if we don't get what our expectation were, or was, we vote, we, we're vocal about it, we're upset about it, we say something about it. But then here comes church and we attend it week, weekly and we're consistent in coming, but we're consistent in leaving without ever receiving anything. And it's not because it's not being delivered, it's because we didn't pick anything off the shelf. And then we walk out of the place and we're just uh, going on with our lives, moving on, cons consistent, but not getting anything. We need some consistency in our lives as Christians today, some consistency that will help us to win some battles. And not just consistency for the sake of going through emotion, but consistency for the sake of our walk with God. Yes. Consistency for the sake of our country, consistency for the sake of our children. We need consistency. The second thing that I see here is that David learned courage. This time that he was away, David learned courage. If you see in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 34, David comes to Saul and says, Saul, this is what I said to your men. There is a battle to take place here. In verse number uh, 34, if you look with me there, and David said unto Saul, 
Thy servant kept his father's sheep. Hey, Saul, I'm not, I'm not scared. I'll go into the fight. I've kept my father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And when I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. I think courage changes a person. I think it changes them. In that point of adversity, it changes somebody. And here's David over those few months that he was back in the wilderness taking care of his sheep. David had some opportunity to demonstrate courage. Not while anyone was looking. It wasn't while anyone was there to pat him on the back. It wasn't in the limelight. It wasn't for national recognition. It was just courage to do what was right today in my personal life. And his job was to keep his sheep. And so the bear, the bear came and the lion came and David went and did what he was supposed to do. He was courageous. He stepped up to the plate. He said, I went after the bear. I think David would have been content if the bear just dropped the sheep. He would have taken the sheep back. But then he said, hey, the bear wasn't letting go. So I went and took it out of his mouth. Then the bear turned on me. I wasn't going to back down. So I took him by the beard and I slew him. I did it to the lion. I did it to the bear. And I'm going to do it to this Philistine who's defying God. Courage. Courage to stand. What this dying world could use is a willing man of God who dares to go against the grain and works without applause. A man who rise or a man who raise the shield of faith, protecting what is pure, whose love is tough and gentle, a man whose word is sure. We could use a few good men. Men full of compassion. Men who be courageous, men who fight. Not just men, but women alike. Men who are willing, men and women who are willing to stand uh, right in the face of danger and jump right into the fray. Courage to do something that frightens you. Do something that frightens you. It's all in a mindset. Do you know that? It's even defined that way. The quality of mind which enables men to encounter danger. It's something that's established before the fight takes place, before the battle comes our way. Courage, what we need to get through life. And I believe that David, as he's out in this wilderness, he learns some courage. But again, we live in a time where courage is a rare commodity. Nobody wants to stand and fight for anything. And when somebody does stand and fight for something, they are pushed back or perceived as harsh. They're labeled as a hater. They're labeled as a, being a part of a hate crime. When, whenever somebody stands for something that is not liberal agended, <laughs> they're mocked, made fun of. We see it all around us today. Even recently with decisions made by certain uh, uh, sports awards to uh, honor c- the courage of, of people like uh, Bruce Jenner for having a few surgeries and changing his gender. Given the courage award. See, courage today has been redefined. I wouldn't say that it doesn't exist as in courage isn't there, but courage is not what it used to be. Courage is uh, really learning to sit back and take the hits. That's what's defined as courage today. Do the hard thing that really isn't that hard. Everyone's courageous in their own way. It's a bunch of ridiculous garbage. Courage is courage. It is to stand in the face of danger and to stand up to fight for what is right. We need not let society redefine what courage is, but we need to have courage in our own lives, in our own hearts. Listen, I'm talking to the church today. The church of God, the same God that David would not allow the world to defy. Yet we sit idly by in many circumstances, allowing the world to defame and name and denounce Christ as being anything that's worthwhile as having in your life. 
We sit by as somebody uh, walks by us in our workplace and says, OMG. And I know everyone, oh, that's just, oh my goodness. No, that's just mockery of taking God's name in vain. So ridiculous that we allow these things to take place around us where here this young boy who, who learned courage in the wilderness when no one was around takes a stand and, and all of the grown men who are in war around him say, hey David, we are scared, we are not going out to fight. And there's a lot of that that goes on today in my life and it goes on in your life as well. Where we sit idly by and allow the world to de- just defy God. If anything is going to happen to turn this country around, it's going to take courage on the part of Christians. It's going to take courage to stand up, to be vocal, state your opinion, state the word of God, state where you stand. It's not going to win you any friends. It's not going to win you even better positions at work. But what's the priority? We have got to stand and fight. We look at our young people today who are just coddled, pampered. Nothing hard. And we say, well, they, they're just, they're just, it's just so hard for them. And then something difficult comes in their life and we wonder why they're incapable of standing. They face hardship and we look at it and we say, I just don't understand what happened. They were never taught to be courageous. They were never taught to stand and fight for what is right. We back down at the slightest wind of confrontation. Is that the role that we should be playing as Christians today? Is that how you win a battle? Is that how you win a war? No, it takes courage to move forward in, in the face of opposition. Courage to fight. In this passage, we see a young boy described as ruddy, fair-skinned. You picture a frail young boy. Not much strength to him at all. Don't picture a large warrior with armor on. You picture a lad with a coat, a staff, a little pouch around his neck that he's placed these five smooth stones in. Sure, he was offered armor. He could have put on the show. But in the end, it wouldn't have done him any good. I think today we settle far too often for putting on the armor and going into battle looking good. Not caring about what the result of the war is going to be. David wasn't worried about how he looked going into this battle. Everything for David was the victory. The victory that God would give. And so he put the armor aside and said, I'm going to go in like a shepherd boy because that's what I am. And I'm just going to do what I know to do. This is what's right. And I'm going to follow after it. We need. We need that. I need to see it in the ones that are older than me. And the ones that are younger than me need to see it in me. Parents, your children need to see it in you. Grandparents, all age groups, it needs to be seen. It needs to be demonstrated. Because in the fray, in the battle, teaching somebody courage doesn't work. It has to be beforehand. Because it's that mindset. It's that mindset that we can get through this. We can push through this. We can continue on. We can fight the fight. In 1989... Roy Benavidez. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. He's a master sergeant in the Army. Roy Benavidez was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor by Ronald Reagan. He was an Army Forces, Special Forces Ranger, fought in Vietnam. On May 2, 1968, his story is described as six hours in hell. He heard of a 12-man special forces patrol, which included nine uh, Montagnard, the tribesmen of the North Vietnamese is what they were. 
He heard that his, this 12-man special force group and these tribesmen were surrounded by the North Vietnamese infantry battalion of about 1,000 men. He heard this come in over the radio, and although he had just come back from duty, he jumped into a helicopter with nothing more than a knife. Helicopter that was headed for this zone to pick up these infantrymen. However, when he arrived in this zone where this battle was taking place, because of the battalion of the North Vietnamese that were fighting there, uh, the helicopter couldn't land. It took heavy fire. And uh, as it was about to land, they said, we got to get out of here. We can't sustain this kind of abuse. But Ben Benitez, he said, I'm not going to abandon. And he jumps out of the helicopter onto the ground as the helicopter takes off. Over the next six hours, he would fight to save these 12 injured Special Forces men and the tribesmen that were with him. He jumped to the ground, and as the story was recounted, I watched a video of Ronald Reagan giving him the Medal of Honor. It took him five minutes of constant war story after war story after war story just to get through this one event. In the end, he drags all 12 men to safety. A helicopter eventually does come after he killed countless number of the battalion, calling in airstrikes, setting up, a, setting up a, a place where they could finally get in with a helicopter to rescue them, popped the smoke. He got to the helicopter and realized he had left one of the men behind, went back even after the helicopter was there and they were taking fire again, went back, grabbed that last man. As he was dragging him away, he encountered a Vietnamese that jumped out of the woods and in hand-to-hand -hand combat uh, wound up, as he said, dispatching him dragging that final soldier into the helicopter. Bienvenidas, he got in that helicopter and collapsed. Later on, they would find out that he had over 37 bullet and stab wounds in his body. He literally was holding his guts in his hands as he drugged that last soldier to the helicopter. When he got back to the medical base, the medics came out, drug all of the bodies out of the helicopter, come to find out there was actually four North Vietnamese soldiers in there. He didn't even know who he was dragging. He was just, I didn't want to leave anybody behind. Brought four dead soldiers with him that he had killed. They drug all the bodies out of the helicopter and laid him down, and he wasn't even recognizable, really. They actually thought he was dead and proceeded to place him into a body bag. One of the men got out of the helicopter and said, no, that's one of our special force guys. That can't we just, I mean, somebody come look at him. And the doctor came over and pronounced him dead. As the doctor was getting up from the ground, Bienvenidas, who was hearing and just couldn't respond, he was so traumatized, spit in the doctor's face. It's the only way he was able to get his attention. The doctor literally had to unzip the body bag and pull this man out of the body bag. He went and wound up recovering. He received countless numbers of awards and eventually the, that Medal of Honor. I think that that's pretty courageous. You look at that man you say, he was fighting for something. He had a reason to fight. And his reason to fight was, I'm not going to leave these 12 Special Force guys that are injured on the ground. I'm going to bring back as many of them as I can. And today we need to learn to have some courage to stand and to fight, to not be pushed around and, and dictated to what is right or wrong. Let's stand based upon the Word of God. And though those around us, just as in David's time, mocked him and made fun of him for his stand that he was wanting to take, and in his statement, is there not a cause? And they're just constantly belittling him for being a youth and not understanding life and not understanding the difficulties that they were facing. David said, hey, we have a cause. There is a reason to fight. Let's go fight. Today I want to encourage you to have courage, to stand in the face of danger. Have courage. I believe that David learned that lesson as he fought that lion and bear. And when he came back, I think one of the reasons that Saul couldn't recognize him was because of the courage that David demonstrated. Before that, David was a small boy playing a harp inside of a castle. Now David's a warrior slaying a giant. Two totally different people. 
I think courage made the difference. Finally, this morning, and we will get through this one quickly, I want to hit the point that ties these first two together. Sure, we need consistency and we need courage, but I think there was an even, an even greater lesson that, that only emphasizes those other two points, and that is confidence. I think David learned confidence. David didn't learn confidence in himself. David learned confidence in God. You can read through this story here. 1 Samuel chapter 17. As David confronts the Philistines. I'm just going to read one verse here for the sake of time. It says in verse number 47, All this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into your hands. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into your hands. David came to this point in his life where he will face an insurmountable odd. A young boy who's not a warrior against a seasoned veteran who is a giant. A place where you would not have confidence that you could win the fight. Yet here is David. We can win this. And he stands before Goliath and before the Philistine army and before the Israel army down in that valley as he's in that valley facing Goliath and he's speaking directly to Goliath and he says, Hey buddy, bad day for you. This battle's the Lord's and he's going to give me the victory. This battle is the Lord's. When's the last time that we approached the battles that we face as being the Lord's and not our own. So many times I fight as though the battle is mine, not the Lord's. Do you ever do that? We face different things in life. Some of you face cancer. That battle's the Lord's. Some of you deal with stress of failure. That battle is the Lord's. Some of you fear things and they're holding you back. That battle is the Lord's. Some deal with depression and discouragement. That battle is the Lord's. Some with conflict at work, conflict at home, discipline problems with the children. I don't know what the battle may be, but there are battles that we all face consistently in our lives and we go through those battles as though the fight depends on us the difference between the victories that we see in our lives and the victories that david saw in his life is that he realized the battle is not mine i'm not going out here to fight on my own the battle is the lord's and he will give the victory we have got to understand it doesn't matter how hard we fight the battle isn't ours you ever heard somebody say it's not your battle to fight that's good advice if it were coming from God. That's not your battle to fight. That's not your battle to fight. It's simply the battle that you need to confide in God, have confidence in God. He's going to give me the victory. Now, I don't know what the battle is that you face in your lives, but God is able. You can ask no as He floats safely on the ark. God's able. You can ask Abraham and Sarah as they sit back being promised a child in their old age and receive one. God is able. You can ask Moses as he walks across the Red Sea on dry ground that God is able. You can ask Joshua as he marches around the walls of Jericho. God is able. You can look at Gideon as he fights a severely unbalanced battle that God is able. Job as he experienced what is undoubtedly one of the most difficult trials that is told of in the Bible. God is able. Ruth. Think about Ruth as she finds herself in Boaz's field. Redeemed. God is able. Esther. She saves her people from annihilation. A little girl. God is able. Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the lion's den, the fiery furnace. You could go on and on and on throughout the word of God and see people who did not fight battles but had confidence in the one who could win the battle. 
and we see over and over and over again that God is able. He will provide the victory. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. He is able. This morning, outside of battles that you'll face in your life, as were mentioned already, there is a battle that takes place in all of our lives that we must face at some point. A battle that, once again, is not ours to fight. It's just simply ours to have confidence in the one who will fight the battle for us. That's the battle for your soul. The Bible says there is a war that takes place in our lives every single day. For those that are unsaved, the battle is whether or not you will spend an eternity in heaven as Jesus Christ offers a gift of salvation, or whether the devil will take control of your life and force you to spend an eternity in hell. That battle takes place. There is nothing that you can do to win that battle. You have to simply place your trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. The Bible is very clear today that there is going to come a point in time where all of us will die or the world will end. But at that point, we will spend an eternity somewhere. It will either be heaven or it will be hell. There was a battle that took place 2,000 years ago where Jesus Christ conquered death in the grave. Where God sent His only Son to die on the cross for our sins. That we can say, O death, where is thy sting? Because Jesus Christ took our punishment, which was hell, upon Himself. He was crucified on the cross. That was the punishment man gave him. But then he had to pay pay the spiritual punishment as he descended to hell. And my sin and your sin were laid upon his shoulders. And he experienced what our punishment would be. Mine and yours. This morning, have you had victory in that area of your life? Have you allowed... Christ to fight that battle for you and accept Him as your Savior? Or do you still battle it today? There are countless number of people who attend church on a weekly basis battling their salvation. Battling assurance. Battling where they're going to spend eternity. That battle is not yours either. The battle is the Lord's. And I believe David comes out of this thing comes out of this wilderness experience here where he's taking care of his flock and he's got a confidence in God that Saul couldn't even recognize at all. A confidence that was so strong that it had led him right down into a valley where he picked up these five smooth stones where he grabbed the stone and placed it in a sling and slung it at Goliath and hit him right smack between the eyes. Not because he felt like he could do it, but because he knew that God would do it confidence it'll change you you ever seen somebody who's just meek and insecure stack them next to somebody who's confident they are two different people completely different people confidence changes a person and we need today not to have our confidence in our strength not to have our confidence in our possessions Not to have confidence in our looks, but have confidence in God. He will win the battle. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning, if you would. David was changed over that time as he was away. He came back and Saul said, who is this young lad? I don't recognize him. Many things could have taken place, but I know for sure from what took place in this story that at some point David learned consistency. He learned to be courageous. He learned to have confidence in God. Really, that confidence is what enabled his his courage and his consistency. The instrument's going to begin to play this morning, and an invitation is extended to you today. 
First of all, I want to extend an invitation for those of you who are still battling with that salvation. Battling with your eternal destiny. If your life were to end in the near future, where would you spend this eternity? Are you confident that you would spend it in heaven? you fearful that you'll spend it in hell. Maybe you're just somewhere in between there, confused. That battle is not yours. And I want to encourage you today, if you would, just to come forward. We can have somebody show you from the Word of God how you can know for sure that this battle can end in your life. This turmoil, this lack of peace that you constantly live with. You can give that battle over to God and let go. Have confidence as David did confidence that this battle is the Lord's and He will give the victory. But outside of that church, how's your consistency? Doing what needs to be done. Fixed on what is right. Unwavering. Courage. Courage to stand and fight the spiritual warfare, the battles that must be faced every single day. We need courage. We need courage in Christianity. We need courage in the home. We need courage in the workplace. Somebody's got to stand for what is right. But it takes courage.